I am Leslie Rowe. For those of you that haven't been here before, I'm on staff here at Denton North, and we just want to welcome you here this morning. If you haven't been here this morning, you probably um, are noticing that there are no college students, and generally we have a ton of college students. So we are uh, missing them this morning as they're at fall camp, along with all of our staff that are with them. Um, and I just want to say a prayer real quick for them that uh, the Holy Spirit will really move through them and do awesome things. Jesus, we just lift up our students to you this morning and our staff and ask that your Holy Spirit would do his work in them this weekend and that they would come back refreshed and relaxed and excited about doing your work, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in our small groups talking about apprenticeship to Jesus. And this week we had our first actual um, discussion and kind of lesson about apprenticeship to Jesus. So this week and next week, um, we're going to preach on that topic. So today I'm going to talk about apprenticeship and choosing to follow Jesus and then next week, Josh is going to talk about apprenticeship and the way to become like Jesus. So one of the things I want, there's a couple of things I want you to kind of hold in your mind as we talk this morning. The first one is that some people chose to follow Jesus and some people didn't. So Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the earth, had people that chose not to follow him. And then the second thing that I think is going to frame most everything we talk about this morning is Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So first, I want us to kind of start with belief in Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself the question, do you believe in Jesus? In John 6, 29, Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So it's, it's described as work to believe in Jesus. Are you willing to do the work? Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 7, 7, when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what does the word earnestly mean? Earnestly means to seriously seek him. And the best illustration I can give you of this is car keys. So you get up in the morning, you're already running late for work, and you get ready to walk out the door, and where are your car keys? No idea. Where did I put them when I came in last night? Did I pick them up after that? And so you start tearing the house apart, trying to find your car keys. And then you ask your roommate or your spouse or whoever is in the house with you to help you look for those car keys. And they walk over and they pick up a pillow 
and they walk over to the bar and they scan the bar and they say, I, I can't find them anywhere. I don't, I mean, I don't see your keys anywhere. And you're like, dude, we have got to find these keys. Like I have to get to work, look for my keys. And what you're saying is find my keys. When we seek earnestly, we find. That's what scripture tells us. When we seek Jesus earnestly, seriously, like our life depends on it, then we will find him. John 20, 30, and 31 says this about the book of John. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book. But the things that are written are that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have eternal life in his name. Scripture, eyewitness testimonies, were written so we could believe. So do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he's the Son of God? If not, this is your starting point in following him. Read and study scripture. Listen to the eyewitness testimonies of people that lived and walked and followed him. Pray and ask God to help you seek Jesus with all of your heart. And then start getting to know him. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Listen to him. Look for where he's working. There are so many people in this room and on our staff that would be happy to walk through that process with you, to tell you about the Jesus we know, to tell you about the Jesus in scripture. And so if you will let me know that that's where you are and you want help with that, I'll help connect you to someone that can help you with that. If the answer to do you believe in Jesus is yes, I believe Jesus is the son of God, then I would encourage you to think about why you believe that. Because you need to be able to tell other people why you believe in Jesus. And the answer to that question should not be because my uh, parents said it was true and that's the only thing I've ever believed. That's a starting point, and it's great, and it's a big step up that your parents taught you that. But it's not the stopping point of believing for yourself. I believe in Jesus because I know people who know him, and they told me about him, and they introduced him. I believe in Jesus because I've read the testimony of his witnesses in Scripture and found them convincing and reliable. I believe in Jesus because I have a relationship with him. I know him. I talked with him this morning. So why do you believe in Jesus? So if you believe in Jesus, then the next question I would ask you is, do you believe he is for you? Do you believe he is for you? And honestly, we could have sang the song his goodness is running after me. And that could have been this section here. Um, but we're not going to stop there. But that was a great introduction to this. So again, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our worst, Christ died for us. 
He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He didn't wait for us to have all the answers. He died for us while we were at our worst. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away. He became poor and we became rich. While we were still sinners, he became poor and we became rich. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in sin. It is by grace you have been saved. While we were still sinners, we were made alive with Christ. And this is one of the most convincing scriptures for me as to why um, Jesus is for us. And this is a very popular scripture. Most of you will know the first part of it, but I bet there are not many of you that know the second part of it. And that's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's verse 16. But verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now that doesn't mean that people won't be condemned if they don't believe in Jesus, but it was not the reason he came. The reason he came was to save the world through him while we were still sinners, while we were at our worst. Jesus told a lot of parables. And so I'm going to tell you a parable this morning, and then I'm going to read to you the scripture that I took that from. I have shared this parable once, but it's been a long time. And I want to make clear before I do, do this, that this is not my, uh, this is not real. This is a parable that I made up. So I'm going to be speaking in first person, but like, this is not my personal story. Okay. When I started college, I knew I wanted to be a registered dietitian and also get an advanced health and fitness specialist certification. It took six long years, but I finally achieved my goal, and I landed an internship at Cooper Clinic. After six months, they offered me my dream job there. We worked to give people a personalized, in-depth picture of their health and help them maintain or improve their health, whichever is needed, and I love my job. Most of the people there are just like me, they value a healthy lifestyle. They make good choices and they make good choices in what they eat and are disciplined in getting up early to exercise. They are a pleasure to work with and they really get what healthy living is all about. One day I walked in and there was a new woman there. I'll call her Lainey. She was recovering from a heart attack at only 35 and was trying to change her lifestyle to avoid further problems. I met with her to create a plan. 
She was nice enough, but I couldn't believe her eating habits. First of all, she rarely cooked. Instead, choosing to go through the drive-through of some fast food restaurant. She ate some fruits and veggies, but most of it was carbs. She had something sweet every single day and sometimes twice a day. She did a little exercise, taking the stairs instead of the elevator and parking farther from the door than necessary, but nothing really significant. She was 30 pounds overweight. If she had just made better choices, lived her life like I had from the beginning, she would never have been in this situation. What was she thinking? I didn't have a lot of hope for her because she obviously didn't have the self-control that a healthy lifestyle would demand, but it was my job to help her, so I tried. As part of my job, I get a physician's report about my clients every month. I was surprised to see that Lainey's physician praised the small changes she had made and the times she chose well, rather than pointing out uh, the mistakes that she made and pointing out things like eating a banana split for her birthday. Like she's had a lot of birthdays that she could have had banana splits on, but now is not the time. Did he not realize what was at stake here? Maybe he just wanted her to fail so he could make more money off of her health problems. Well, I certainly wasn't gonna let her off the hook that easy. A few weeks later, I was working with Lainey when I started feeling really tired. I mean, like the kind of tired where you can't take another step. Lainey asked me if I was okay, and I assured her I just needed a little more sleep. But it seemed like the more I slept, the more tired I felt. I decided I just needed to push through, exercise a little harder, even even help Lainey with her exercises. I was trying to encourage her to exercise more, so I figured if I worked out with her, that would help. We were jogging on the treadmill, and I pushed it up to an all-out sprint and couldn't catch my breath for 15 minutes after we stopped. Lainey was so sweet and compassionate, getting me a cup of water and sitting with me while I recovered. I assured her it couldn't possibly be anything serious. She asked if I'd experienced any pain in my chest, and I replied that I'd had a little bit, but not much, and it always went away really quick. She explained that she had experienced those same symptoms and suggested I get checked out by a doctor. <laughs> I just laughed and said there was no need to see a doctor. I didn't say it out loud, but I thought it to myself. There's no way I could be sick like she was. Unlike her, I make good choices, and I always have. Lainey continued getting stronger and healthier. She made mistakes from time to time, but she was making progress. I, on the other hand, experienced periods of fatigue and shortness of breath. It had to be a slump. I would start feeling better soon. Lainey patiently encouraged me to go to the doctor, but I live healthy. I am healthy. Why would I need to? I signed up for a half marathon to see if that would get me over the slump, and I began training with a team. This particular day, we were doing a six-mile run. About two miles in, I passed out. At least they told me I did. I don't remember any of it. My team called an ambulance. They took me to a hospital and doctors found a blockage in one of my arteries. 
when I, they put in a stent and were able to open it up with that, but I was very close to needing open heart surgery. When I was released, my doctor recommended cardiac rehab. I became a client at my own clinic. Believe me, the irony was not lost on me. How in the world did I wind up here? My friend Lainey says it's because people who know they are sick get help from the doctor. People who don't believe they are sick don't see any need for one. Maybe she's right. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, Pharisees believed that tax collectors were hopeless. There was no hope for them. And so when Pharisees came to them seeking God, wanting forgiveness, I mean, sorry, when tax collectors came to them seeking forgiveness and seeking God, even to give money to God, they were not allowed because they were considered hopeless. While we were still sinners, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was not saying that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were so righteous that they did not need saving. He was saying that they didn't think they needed to be saved because they considered themselves so righteous. Part of the good news of this story is that you cannot be too sinful for Jesus to save you, but you can be too holy to need his salvation. And so I would ask you to think about if you're on the side of thinking that you're too sinful for Jesus to save you, Jesus has already paid the price for that. There is nothing you cannot bring to him and be forgiven for. But if you think that you are in control of yourself and that you have no need for a doctor, you have no need for Jesus, then you are too holy. You think you are too holy to need his salvation. He's still willing to give it to you while you were still sinners. He's still willing to give it to you, but you have to realize your need for him. If you still need convincing that Jesus is for you, listen to this. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered and who knew pain firsthand while we were still sinners. 
One looked at him and people turned one look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum while we were still sinners. But the fact is it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins, while we were still sinners. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing and gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him. While we were still sinners, he was beaten. He was tortured, but he didn't say a word like a lamb taken to be slaughtered. And like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought of his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he had never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us so we could have life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see what it's he'll see it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant will make many righteous ones, as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch because he embraced the company of the lowest, that's us. He took on his own shoulders the sin of the many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep while we were still sinners. If you know you need a doctor, then you know that Jesus is for you, not against you. And if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, and if you believe that Jesus is for you, then you need to count the cost of following him. Mark eight, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Des denying yourself means to get up every day and give up your wants, 
your rights, your idea of how life should be, your idea of who Jesus should be, what you want to do with your time. You give those things up and you choose to live like Jesus as an others-centered person, not a self-centered person. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death by the most painful and humiliating thing that you could ever conceive of. It was death. That was it. Today, Christians view the cross as a beloved symbol of atonement and forgiveness and grace and love. But to the people Jesus was speaking to, it represented nothing but torturous death. So carrying your cross meant carrying the awful device that you would be painfully killed on. And once you picked up your cross, there was no turning back. Death was certain. Therefore, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to put to death your own ideas, plans, and desires and live for his. He called it dying to himself, and it is a call to complete surrender. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. That's the call. Discipleship cost us everything, and Jesus never hid that cost. And we are not going to hide that cost from you or from each other. Each time Jesus told people to pick up their cross, he followed it with, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? See, the call is hard. It's excruciating at times, but Jesus promises it will result in life to the full. The story of the rich young ruler is a good depiction of what it looks like to give up everything and how excruciating that can be at times. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You should honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. I'm really good. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The message says this is once again the great reversal. Many who are the first will end up last in the last first. That's kind of a frightening line to me because I live a very blessed life. Um, and I feel like in a lot of ways, even in ways I don't control, that I am first. And in one sense, I'm happy to give that up for someone else that hasn't had that to be first. And in other ways, I think, am I clinging on to that and not being willing to give that up? so that someone else can be first. This man did not want Jesus to be his savior. He wanted to keep his money and be his own savior. He wanted to use the money to do the things that Jesus could do for him and much more. He thought he was doing a really good job following Jesus, but he didn't really know the kind of person he was. Because see, when you don't know who Jesus really is, you probably don't know who you are either. Jesus calls us to radical discipleship. Money was an object of desire in their society, and money is an object of desire in ours. And so this passage challenges us. Perhaps there's something other than money, though, that we treasure more. Perhaps it's traveling. Perhaps it's extended family. Perhaps it's our houses. Perhaps it's our careers. Perhaps it's being married. Perhaps it's being single. Maybe it's having children. Rich Velotis, who is a Puerto Rican pastor at New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York, said this, God calls us to go on pilgrimage but we'd rather be tourists. A pilgrim is led by God into the unknown and is invited to trust. A tourist just wants to sightsee on his or her own terms. Following Jesus is a pilgrimage. It is not doing it on our own terms. It is denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and putting to death our own terms to follow his. So have you counted the cost? Are you ready to deny self and let Jesus take control? Are you willing to take up your cross and put yourself to death every time you try to retake control so that you can truly follow Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? And do you believe that he's for you? If the answer to these three questions is yes, then you're ready to make him Lord of your life. You're ready to be baptized, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to follow him 
like Acts 2.38 describes. And here's the good news. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it all together. To follow him, you don't have to have it all together either. The disciples followed Jesus and they believed in him, but they had a baseline belief in him. They didn't really know who he was until they followed him for a while. And they kept learning more and more about this Jesus that they believed in. They believed he was for them, but they learned that he wasn't for them in the way they thought he was. They thought he was going to liberate them from Rome. That's not the way he was for them, but he taught them the way that he was for them. And they counted the cost, but they could never have imagined the cost they would pay when they began following him. You grow as you follow him. Think about that mustard seed faith. That's what we're talking about here. You just have to have a little tiny bit to start, and he's going to grow that as you seek to follow him. In small group this week, we ask you guys to answer the question, where does your posture towards Jesus land on the spectrum of total life apprenticeship and surface level interest or obligation? So surface level interest in God, obligation, and total life apprenticeship. And I have the hardest time evaluating that in my life. And evidently you guys did too, because there were a lot of questions about this particular exercise of evaluating. See, I think what's hard about this is that we know our lives should reflect Jesus and that we should love the way he loved and we should do things the way he did. But on the other hand, we also know that there's nothing that we can or need to do in order to be saved other than coming to him. So I don't checklist my way into the kingdom, which is the easiest way to evaluate where I am on that scale. And the reason it's so hard to evaluate is because there's not much difference between how my life looks if I'm following Jesus and how it looks if I'm just trying to be good. Like they can look very similar, but the big difference is in the heart. The big difference is in what's going on in here. And so one of the things I think that we can look at is that when I'm trying to earn something or I'm trying to checklist it or I'm just trying to be good, I'm usually worried about what's the minimum I can do. What's the minimum I can do to get a check? What's the minimum I can do to be good? But when I'm worried about following Jesus and living like him and wanting to please him, when I'm living in response to the gospel and out of an overflow of love and gratefulness to God, I live my life at maximums. How can I do the most to please God? The gospel story is not about God doing the least for us. He did the most he could do. And if we're living out the gospel, we'll do the same. And it will impact every aspect of our lives, not just certain pieces of our lives. So if you didn't understand that question in small group this last week, or if you didn't answer it because you didn't know how, 
I would encourage you to take the time this week to answer that question because our goal is to grow in apprenticeship to Jesus together. And it's hard to know if you're growing if you can't start out by evaluating where you're starting. And so however you feel like you can best answer that question, all we're looking for is an evaluation tool here. And so maybe it would be helpful to use a scale of one to 10 and picking where you would be on that scale in terms of total apprenticeship to Jesus and surface level. Um, but I think it's important that we're able to do that. So I would encourage you to do that before your small group meets this week. And if you need help with it, ask somebody. So as we start talking about apprenticeship to Jesus, you've got to start by choosing to follow him, by believing in him, by believing he's for you, and by counting the cost and then we can start following Jesus. We're at all different spectrums. Like some people haven't started yet. Some people have been started for quite a long time. And some people like me, way longer than those of you that feel like you've been going a long time. Um, and so we're all in this together and we're all going to grow to be more like him. So next week, Josh is going to talk about apprenticeship and the way to become like Jesus. Let's pray together. Um, God, I just want to thank you um, for Jesus being for us. I thank you for everything he's done to prove that to us. He didn't just speak it. He lived it out. And he continues to live that out today. Um, God, when we were at our worst, he loved us and he gave his life for us. And we want to be the same with other people. God, teach us to be focused on other people and not on ourselves, to be givers, not takers. And I just pray that we would um, look like Jesus more every day as we work on this together in our small groups. But I pray that first of all, we would choose to follow Jesus, that we would count the cost and decide that he's worthy because he's for us and because he is your son. I pray, God, that you would use what we're talking about in our groups, that we would use your scripture to change us and to make us more like Jesus. Help us to love one another deeply. Help us to be honest with one another. Help us to um, pick each other up and help each other keep going when it gets really hard. And um, we just love you a lot, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Troy is going to come up and tell you about a special prayer that we're going to do this morning. 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 Um, so our daily bread reached out to local churches and didn't. I'll wait till then. Thanks, Anna. So our daily bread reached out to the local churches and didn't and asked for a prayer. Um, so our daily bread... Um, I'll read what their mission statement is so you can kind of know who they are and what they do. Our Daily Bread feeds, shelters, and cares for the unhoused and at risk in our community while maintaining the dignity of our guests and offering opportunities for a new start. So I've seen how much of a community they've built there and how much the staff really cares about the guests. Um, and they've done a really good job at living up to their mission and helping out so many people in the Denton area. So I'm going to pray. Um, God, you're good. 
Thank you for this opportunity for us to meet this morning. Thank you for such a great facility in the city that has resources for those in need. I pray that you can use our daily bread to bless each unhoused person who enters their facility. I pray that they can be the proof of your love for them as they provide services. And I pray that they can change the hearts and create better futures for those in need. I pray that the staff there can provide the best services possible and truly see each individual as you made them. I pray that the staff will have patience and show love, especially when it seems hopeless. And I pray for their transition to a new facility this December. I pray for guidance as they move forward, as well as wisdom as they transition all their services to one location. Thank you for being a God who sees us and cares for us. Thank you for being a God who cares for the people who are often overlooked around us. And I pray that we can grow to be more like you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.